Now, a few minutes before this in the earlier service, I and Angie Fuller were crawling around on our knees, I in my suit and her in her dress, uh, looking for this needle, which is sometimes apparently as hard to find as it is to get something to go through its eye. At some point in the service earlier, I think when I had put my cup down after communion and, and had the, the needle stabbed into this space, and I'm sorry, Luda, this is, this is your needle. This is actually not your needle. Um, it fell off and pushed the needle up into this. And so if you shake it real closely and listen real closely, you can hear it. But all of our looking around on the floor um, was for nothing. We could not find it. We could not find it on the floor. We couldn't have found it in a haystack or anywhere else. Just as that is hard, it is often hard, Jesus reminds us in this passage, to get something, anything, to go through the eye of the needle. If your eyesight's not great... Or if the thread is a little too thick, or if it's frayed on the end, it can prove difficult. And it is difficult to me, I was showing earlier. Now, now, it may not be as difficult to you, but if it is difficult sometimes for you, there is one tried and true way to get the thread through the eye of the needle, and that is with spit. Luda, you can cut this end off later. Okay, and then it should, with a little bit of precision, let's see, I'm missing it, I'm missing it, I'm missing it. Oh, there it goes. It should go right through. You don't even need camel spit for that. You can use your own spit, and you can move it through the very tight spot, and now you're ready to sew. Now, I hope this little demonstration, for all that it's worth, would help us understand the emphasis of Jesus' illustration here in this passage while he watches a young man walk away from him and also at the same time walk away from the kingdom of God. And then Jesus looks at those standing around him and says that it is about as possible for that rich young man to enter into the kingdom of God as it would be for that young man to thread a needle with a camel. Now one author I read said, it's much easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle if it's lightly greased, but I think it's safe to say that no amount of grease or spit or anything else will allow us to safely and successfully push anything larger than this thread through the eye of that needle. At least I hope it won't. I mean, if you figure out how to move anything other than a shape-shifting magic camel through the eye of this needle, man, that's going to leave a mess. An unsightly mess on the other side. The image, if you think about it, is a bit disturbing. It's more than a little bit disturbing, and I suppose it's supposed to be. In spite of this, many have decided to try in various ways to make this seem a little bit more probable that a camel actually could move through the eye of a certain kind of needle a little less disturbing over the years by proposing that there is a gate outside of Jerusalem known as the eye of the needle. Now, I've actually seen a gate outside of Jerusalem known as the eye of the needle. And teachers usually say that while it may seem impossible for a camel to go through the eye of this gate, it's not because if the camel were to crouch down and go on its knees, it could actually pass through. 
which is really an interesting story that can set up some interesting images and ideas about humility and prayer. But the fact is, and I hesitate to say this because some of you have probably used this illustration in Bible studies, it's probably not true. There's actually little, if any, evidence that there was originally such a gate. And even if there was a gate, why would Jesus use a metaphor like this? He was a master teacher. He was a master of hyperbole. Wouldn't you be a little bit disappointed if his example about impossibility was actually possible? Now Jesus, of course, does go on to make the point that the impossible is always possible with God. But I think the first point he makes is actually a little more interesting. I don't find it at all surprising, in other words, that Jesus would say you need God's grace, a miracle of God's grace, to enter into God's kingdom. But I do find it interesting that Jesus would say right here that if you're rich, you're going to need an extra special miracle. Now this is interesting and it ought to be especially interesting to us because you know most of us who sit in this room are probably, statistically speaking, wealthy. If you own a television set, you are statistically one of the wealthiest people in the world. And according to Jesus, it is seemingly impossible for someone who is wealthy to move into the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because so many of us who have accumulated so much stuff have found ourselves possessed by our possessions. And some of us are feeling particularly possessed by our possessions right now, either for ambition or fear or another, a number of other reasons. We might find ourselves in a tight financial spot. Our revenue may be down, our income may be down. Our expenses may be up. Our investments may be down. It may seem slim that we're going to get through this. In fact, the spot we're in may seem so tight, it would almost be easier, we imagine, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us to get out on the other end of this. Others of us may right now and at various times when others are struggling seem to be doing quite well. We may be managing quite well financially. We found ourselves less concerned about what we're going to lose most of the time and much more concerned about how we're going to gain. We're possessed by our desire to have more, to get ahead. In the context of the story that Jesus is telling here, I'm not sure there's much more difference in either one of these scenarios. For most of us, Our ambitions and our fears in regard to our wealth both rise out of our fear of losing our possessions, which would most certainly cause us to lose our position in this world. And in this way, we have a whole lot in common with the rich young ruler, because it probably wasn't his inability to let go of his possessions as much as it was his inability to let go of his position that caused him to walk away from Jesus and to walk away from the kingdom of God. In his culture, walking away from wealth was about the same as walking away from everything else you own. Walking away, it was more than walking away from your stuff, it was walking away from your position your status, your influence, your control. His wealth, like our wealth, gave him security. 
And it gave him independence, or at least the illusion of it. Money always and often at least gives us the illusion of independence, the illusion that we are the ones who are in control of our lives. And once we've got that control, we usually don't want to lose it. However, at least if Jesus is right here, if we want to enter into God's kingdom, a kingdom that we're meant to enter long before we die, a, king that G- a kingdom that Jesus enters, invites us to enter into right here and right now, it seems we're going to have to give up the illusion and embrace the truth. The truth that none of us will ever actually be independent. Not really. And we're not meant to be. God is not calling us to be independent fully. God is calling us to be dependent. Perhaps this is why Jesus is pointing us back again to children, to those dependents that are surrounding him right now. Children, did you notice this, he says? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, when I first read those words, I read them out of context, and I wondered why Jesus was referring to his disciples his adult disciples as children. Seems a little patronizing, but he wasn't. And we only have to flip back a few verses to see that he wasn't. No, this encounter with the rich young ruler came on the heels of that familiar moment when Jesus said, let the children come to me. And then he told his disciples that anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must enter as a child. Now, in the past, I've simply taken for granted that Jesus' reference here to children was a reference to innocence. But this probably isn't an entirely accurate reading of this text. No, contrary to our ideas about children being innocent and playful and gentle, childhood in this time and culture was a time of terror. Children were the weakest In most vulnerable members of this society, children had little status within the community or the family. They were radically dependent on their parents, especially their fathers. Their fathers decided who would be accepted into the family and who wouldn't. Their fathers decided if children children would be accepted, if they wouldn't be accepted. Children belonged to their father and they remained subject to their father's authority until even when they were adults. So then to say that we should enter into the kingdom of God as little children is not necessarily a reference to innocence, but a reference to a radical dependence that children had on their fathers for status and inheritance and even life itself. Jesus' words here are not meant to be an encouragement toward a simple faith, but instead are a warning. A warning. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God clinging to our influence. That we cannot enter the kingdom of God clinging to our control or even the illusion of it. 
We cannot enter the kingdom of God clinging to our wallets or our wealth. No, the only way we can enter into the kingdom of God is as children of God, fully dependent upon God and God's grace. How hard is it for someone who has wealth to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it, children, for people whose very way of life is held together by their status, their influence, their possessions, and their paycheck? How hard is it for these people to enter into God's way of life? Very hard. And we know that to be true. Very, very, very hard. But then Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Thanks be to God.